good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak. We are so thankful for those of you who listen week by week and encourage you, please uh, do get in touch and let us know your thoughts regarding the programming. Please contact us via the email address malvernfpc at yahoo.com. Today we're breaking into your regular programming to broadcast a message that was preached at a time of the church's celebration of the Lord's Supper. This time of year, the church traditionally marks the events surrounding the Lord's death, burial and resurrection. It is fundamental to the Christian message that Jesus Christ was a real historical individual. Paul enunciates the gospel to the church in Corinth, telling them that the gospel is that Jesus died for their sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There is no Christian message without contemplating the events surrounding the Lord's death on Calvary's tree. We refer to that event as the accomplishment of redemption. The Bible tells us that Christ died for our sins. It makes the point that the Lord's death was not an accident. Ultimately, it was a work of God's victory as he provides the means whereby sinners like you and me can be saved. And so that speaks of the accomplishment of redemption. Christ's death was the price demanded for our forgiveness. That accomplishment was sealed in that after the Lord was buried, he rose again the third day. We read in the Bible of the triumph of that event as the woman come to the grave and the angels will say to them, he is not here, he is risen. And so we see that the father accepted the sacrifice of the son on the behalf of sinners. Salvation was accomplished by Christ Jesus. But what we must appreciate is that by faith we enter into the blessings of that accomplished redemption. Through the work of the Spirit of God we come to believe in Christ and we come to enjoy the forgiveness of sins. And so in today's message I I want to unpack some of the details regarding the application of redemption, that when sinners are saved by God's grace, they are delivered from Satan's kingdom, they are translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, they enjoy the forgiveness of sins, and they have an inheritance that no man can take away. And in light of these things, it is the believer's duty to be continually thankful. So on this Easter Sunday, It is my desire that you would be moved in your soul to give thanks to God, not simply for salvation accomplished, 
but for the truth that salvation has been applied in your own experience, that you can join with us in giving thanks to God for saving your soul and for bringing you into the enjoyment of forgiveness of sins. That that is the most important thing today. We can mark events of history, but those events of history will mean nothing to us unless we personally come to turn from our sins and accept Jesus as the Saviour. So thank you again for listening today and let me encourage you again, please get in touch if I can help you with questions regarding your soul. Uh, it would certainly be my joy and delight to do so. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts today. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we bow in thy most holy presence. Again, thankful for the opportunity that you have given to us again to consider Christ as he is revealed to us in the word. We thank you we come together on the, the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, a day to reflect upon the glories of our resurrected Lord. We thank you that we are a blood-bought people. We are those who've been saved by your glorious grace. And we thank you that in grace we've been caused to see the beauty of Christ and to look upon him. We thank you for the mercies that drew us to saving faith, to believe and to rely upon him. We pray for the outpouring of the Spirit of God, for we can't rightly benefit from this time, but by the help of thy blessed Spirit, so enable us, O Lord, today. We thank you for the word, bless it to your hearts, and so encourage us now, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Now please turn in your copies of the scriptures to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I want to read from the verse number 9 of Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're reading here one of the uh, many prayers of the uh, Apostle Paul. Prayers he's praying for local churches. And here we're reading this prayer for the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, the verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Amen. We look to God to bless his word. It is worth noting that whenever the Apostle Paul prays and those prayers are recorded in Scripture, he is infallibly praying the will of God. We have, of course, taught in the Word that our prayers are to be according to God's revealed will. But here, as the Apostle Paul prays under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we have these inspired prayers 
that infallibly reveal the will of God. These are prayers that we should be praying for each other and for the word of God here. This particular prayer is is one of the, the most full of the prayers of the Apostle Paul revealed in the epistles. The central petition is verse number 10, where he prays that ye might walk worthy. Now, that's the, that's the central petition. There is a, a preceding petition in verse number 9. He prays that they be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's the first petition, but it is a petition that has the end, that they might walk worthy. And so Paul's burden here is that the believers would walk worthy of the Lord. Not that their walk would make them worthy, but rather their walk would be a reflection of the Lord. The glories of Christ, his holiness, his perfection, his grace, and that in in all of our walking in this world, we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Such a walk is pleasing to the Lord. It is unto all pleasing. And so to that end, our walk is a walk according to the will of God. We walk in the commands of God. Hence verse 9. The prayer is that we be filled with the knowledge of that will. And that knowing the will of God, we would then walk in the will of God. But what follows then is Paul's fourfold description of what that worthy walk will look like. And what you have in the original, you have uh, four participles that are used. We have it in our English Bibles here in the ING ending. And there are four of them. The worthy walk is a fruitful walk, being fruitful in every good work. The worthy walk is an increasing walk, increasing in the knowledge of God. The sense there is not knowing the will of God in scriptures, but rather increasing in our communion with God, our fellowship with God. In the third place, it is a walk that is a walk of being strengthened. Verse number 11, there is no ING, but in the original, the idea is of being strengthened with all might. Uh, We cannot walk in our own strength. If we're going to walk worthy in this world, we need the power of God, the almighty power of God. It's according to his glorious power. And the tendency is in our walk with God that we grow faint and we've a tendency to give up. And so we have the power of God so that we would exercise patience and long suffering with joyfulness. But the fourth mark of this worthy walk is giving thanks unto the Father. And Paul's praying, he's praying for believers. And he's praying that they'd walk worthy. And he's praying that in their worthy walk, that they'd be those who are giving thanks. He's praying the will of God. And so the obvious implication is that it is God's will that we give thanks. It is the will of God that we are a thankful people. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks unto the Lord. It's a morally excellent exercise to be a thankful person, a a thankful child of God. You think of the indictment on the nine lepers who were touched by the Lord and yet they did not come back to return thanks. And so we here this morning are gathered in a thanksgiving ordinance. One of the terms used for the, the Lord's Supper is the term Eucharist that speaks of thanksgiving. And so if we're going to rightly, rightly meet with God in this place at this time, it must be with an attitude of thankfulness. 
And so as Paul prays this prayer for the believers, he speaks of giving thanks. And then he gives them the reasons whereby they should give thanks. And there's a a number of reasons. And you will note immediately that the reasons for thankfulness are not primarily their material prosperity or their physical health, but rather these spiritual blessings. Now, be careful. It is, of course, right and proper to give thanks to God for every good and perfect gift both physical and spiritual. But yet at the very core of the heart of thankfulness is a recognition of our spiritual blessings and of the multitude of those spiritual blessings. So let's note them together. There are, there are three things highlighted here for us in the text. Verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the part of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. First of all, note that we are to be thankful for God's act of deliverance. Who hath delivered us? Now, I mention that first because when you read the text carefully again, you understand that we are partakers of an inheritance Because we have been delivered. If you turn back quickly to Acts chapter 26, there is a very important parallel. It's as if Paul has taken this part of the prayer directly from the words the Lord gave him by way of commission for service. So in this petition in Colossians 1, you have the themes of deliverance, forgiveness, and an inheritance. And you look at verse 18 of Acts 26, as Paul recounts the words of commission he received from Christ, it is that he be those who be one who would open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Remember the three themes of Colossians 1? Deliverance, forgiveness, and inheritance. And here all three are in Acts chapter 26. They are taken from the power of Satan unto God to receive forgiveness and inheritance. So keeping that in mind, when you go back to Colossians chapter 1, we see the importance of this fundamental act of deliverance. That we are to be thankful because God in mighty power has delivered us out of the kingdom of Satan. And yes, as we enjoy that deliverance, we receive the blessings of forgiveness and an inheritance. But at the very beginning of our salvation, it is a mighty act of divine deliverance. Look at the text. It is God who hath delivered us. And what an act of deliverance that is. The same word is used in 2 Peter 2. This word deliverance is used of Lot in Sodom. How God delivered him out of those cities. And you remember back to the, 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 the history of that account and how Lot was, let's be honest, he was less than a willing person in leaving that. But God in mighty power dragged him by the hand out of, city, out of the city in an act of almighty grace. And so it is in our own experience. We have been delivered out of the realm of Satan and have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We ourselves were not willing. 
But God made us willing in the day of his power. Again, I understand that our, our deliverance is as we come to trust in Christ. But even, even in our act of trusting in Christ, it is because God has taken us out of Satan's kingdom. Satan is a cruel king. He's a king who meddles in deception and darkness. We have the power of darkness in Acts chapter 26. That is Satan's kingdom. And in darkness he blinds the eyes of men that they would, they would not see the truth. And that was our experience under Satan's reign. We, we don't see truth. He, he meddles in deception. He presents falsehood as truth. And truth is falsehood. And so we are deceived and we will not come to see Christ. All manner of things are, are used, the devil, to keep us out of the kingdom of Christ. But God in his mercy delivers us. If you're here today and you are saved by God's grace and like the demonic, you're clothed and in your right mind spiritually, it's only so because you've been delivered by the power of God. And that ought to make us thankful. Because we leave the kingdom of Satan and we come into the kingdom of God's dear son and he's a gracious king. His throne is a throne of grace. He's a king that does what a king should. He provides for us and he protects us. Nehemiah 4 reminds us, our God shall fight for us. We have the provision and the protection in Christ's kingdom. And so right at the very beginning we have this, this blessed cause for thanksgiving. That God hath delivered us. But we also have in the second place, we have the reason of God's act of forgiveness. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We are all in one of two kingdoms. We're either in Satan's kingdom or we're in the son's kingdom. We're either in darkness or we're in light. But deliverance from Satan's authority brings with it the blessing of forgiveness of sins. Know what it says in verse number 14. In whom we have redemption. Or deliverance by God from Satan's kingdom is only possible when we are in union with Christ Jesus. Let me put this in a, in a, in a form of a picture. You think of Satan and he's ruling over a city. And in that city there are, there are many who are captive to Satan's reign and they're, they're living in darkness and deception. But God sends his conquering king. The son of David comes to conquer Satan's kingdom. And Christ in his glory enters into Satan's kingdom as he hangs upon a cross and makes a show of them openly triumphing over them in the power of the cross we understand that from the word of God that Christ he conquers Satan's kingdom as he dies for sinner's sins and so Christ in the picture he breaks into the house of the strong man the city of the strong man and binding the strong man He's going to release his goods. And so he does. In the language of the Psalms, Christ leads captivity captive. 
And so we are, we are, if you like, we are chained to God's conquering king. And, that, and in chains to Christ, we are taken out of Satan's kingdom into the kingdom, the gracious kingdom of God's son. But such is our union with the conquering king that we cannot be rescued without also enjoying the blessing of forgiveness of sins. So the deliverance is here using the term of redemption. Redemption speaks of a deliverance from bondage, a deliverance from captivity. And here the captivity is a captivity to the debt of sin. We understand that sin is an unpayable debt. We owe an infinite debt to God for all of our sins. But here we have the language of redemption that we have been bought into freedom through the blood of Christ and that freedom is the full discharge of all the infinite debt we owe to God. What a blessing that is. Did you come here today with a a dull and a cold heart? With a, a heart that was not ready to worship God? Let me encourage you here. You've been delivered and by God's grace every cent you owe has been paid in full by Christ and his blood. We have been redeemed through the blood of Christ, that precious blood. Do you believe, do you believe that Christ's blood is sufficient? You'll all say, yes, I do. Well, if Christ's blood is infinitely sufficient, then it's infinitely sufficient to cover every debt due to God. We understand that Every sin we have against God in, in thought and word and deed, it's a sin against an infinitely gracious God. We, we, owe, we owe more than we can ever pay. That's why if we choose to pay it ourselves, we will pay the debt for all eternity in hell. Not for a day or a week or a year, but for eternity because of the infinite debt we owe to God. But Christ in his power has delivered us from that debt and redemption through his precious blood, the blood that we contemplate again today. We've been redeemed and we've been forgiven. And so if Christ's blood is sufficient, then you must never, ever think that you've anything to add to that. You must remember that if Christ has paid it all, paid in full, we must always guard ourselves from the tendency to think that, well, Okay, Christ's done a lot, but perhaps I need to do something more. Don't undervalue, the, don't undervalue the price of Christ's precious blood. And in the same sense, if that debt has been paid in full, then you come here with boldness. You come and approach God with boldness. Your, your sins are forgiven and they're forgiven in full. And so we're thankful for God's act of deliverance. We're thankful for God's act of forgiveness. And we're thankful... For God's promise of an inheritance. Because those who are brought out of Satan's kingdom and are brought into the kingdom of Christ are brought into the family of God so that their conquering king is willing to be called their brother. He's not ashamed to call those whom he's captive He's not ashamed to call them brethren. And so we have an inheritance. 
You think in Bible terms, you think of the people of God in the Old Testament, they were brought into their inheritance. You, you think of the New Testament promise, the meek shall inherit the earth. And then there is a future prospect for the child of God. It's future here, which hath made us meet to be partakers. Because of our deliverance, we are, we are now made meet for the kingdom. Past tense. Half made us meet. It speaks of being suitable. We are now the children of light so we can partake in an inheritance of light. There are some who view sanctification, uh, how we're made more like Christ, that that is making us fit for heaven. Please get that thought out of your mind. The work of sanctification is not so that you are made more fit for heaven. The very day you die, in and of yourself, you're still not fit for heaven. Our fitness for heaven is only because of Christ and what Christ has done. And because he has done exactly what was required, we are fit now. Even in our condition of progressive holiness, we are still fit for heaven now. And so sanctification has many purposes. But it is not so that we go to heaven and are sufficiently sanctified to merit entrance into heaven. Our merit for the inheritance is only what Christ has done. So that Paul can say, he hath already made you meet suitable to be a partaker. That's already taken place. It's based upon Christ's work. Sin's penalty paid, therefore we can't go to hell to pay the price. Reconciled to God, never cast out. Adopted, never cut out of the will. Children of light, fit for this inheritance. Spurgeon says this, The true believer is fit for heaven now. At this very moment. That does not mean he is sinless. But that he's been accepted in the beloved. Adopted in the family. And fitted by divine approbation. To dwell with the saints in light. What a comfort. What an assurance. What a reason to be thankful. Deliverance. Forgiveness. Inheritance. If you're not thankful today. There's a very major heart problem. We need to contemplate these things continually. It is indeed good to give thanks unto the Lord. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.